Great. All right, here we are. Say something. Hello, I'm Joseph. Aha, there we are. Okay, cool. I'm going to turn you up a little bit. There we go. They're uh, not monodirectional mics, or are they? I always forget. One way or the other, try to talk into them. So, and the monitor, oh, the headphones are way ahead, too. All right, here we go. Um, so, it's five minutes past. Uh, you're listening to WKDU, Philadelphia 91.7 FM, Direction University's free format on commercial radio station. Uh, my name is not Adam. My name is Yoni. Uh, Adam is in uh, Pick a Country. Uh, the Ukraine, probably. He's probably in the Ukraine uh, finding some long-lost dub records. Ukrainian dub, if you didn't know, uh, now you do. And we're here with Joseph, and he is, can we say curating? Yes, All I right. can say that. Uh, do you think that's an apt term for what, what you're doing? I would say it is. He is curating an exhibit, an evening of Pleasure. Philadelphia music, Philadelphia punk music in all of its many forms. In that form being video form. Yes, well, yeah. Uh... And you can give your give your spiel as to as to when it is and where it is, and then we can keep on talking. Okay. Well, first I just wanted to thank you, Terry, for having me on the show. I'm a big no big fan of Fresh Air. I listen all the time. I just got to say, it's kind of surprising to me that you're far less less gnomish than I would imagine you to be, and and a lot more her uh, suit. You have a voluminous beard. Why? Thank you. Have you ever heard? I think it was one of the members of Kiss. Did I think it was a Terry Gross interview that they just never, they never put up online. They never because it was just so bad, and he was cursing at her the entire time, and it was really awkward. No, that no, I've heard that there was a, a couple of awkward interviews, yeah. but I never heard that particular one. Um, so what do you want me to explain? What it is that yeah. I'm doing? Okay. Uh, well, in brief, um, Philadelphia Film Festival is coming uh, starting in the beginning of April. Uh, and it's going to be almost an entire month's worth of uh, screenings and uh, live events. There's going to be live music and other things as well. Um, and the focus is on Philadelphia. Um, and a lot of film programmers and other people involved in the arts in Philadelphia were invited to take part in the festival by Eric Bresler, the founder of the festival. And former KDU DJ. That's right. Uh, and uh, I was one of the people asked. And we had gone through a couple of different ideas uh, of events to do for the festival and um, they didn't pan out uh, but what we came up with I think was actually ultimately the best of them uh, which was to, to do a night which is on April 23rd of uh, live footage of punk bands from Philly from the early 80s to the present um, that largely hasn't been seen before. This isn't stuff that we're calling off of YouTube but rather we're getting from bands or from people who shot this stuff and then digitizing a lot of it, because uh, a good deal of it has been in the form of VHS tapes that have sort of sat in people's basements for years, uh, and in some cases decades. Um, and then in other cases, uh, we've gotten digital footage of more contemporary bands, uh, and then we've re-edited the stuff uh, so that it's, it's punchy and tight for a seated audience to watch and not boring, um, you know, as, as live footage can sometimes be when you're not actually at the event and not being, say, kicked in the head or smelling people's you know, hideous body odor and all, all the other things that come with a, a live event. Uh, so, uh, so we assembled this, this footage and, and then there's going to be some interaction with some audience members uh, who are people who were either say at those shows or in those bands who will talk a little bit uh, between the clips about you know, what it was like to be there, what Philadelphia was like at the time. Uh, and there's another component that we can probably talk about later which is the audio archives part. 
what's been the most out of the vaults? I never thought I'd see this moment for you so far. Uh, there's been a lot of really, really great footage. I mean, I think that some of it's still yet to come, although technically we're not taking in any more footage. Uh, I know that there's going to be um, a three-camera shoot of the last Rambo show, uh, which will be professionally edited and have really great sound. And, and you know, for anyone who's seen Rambo play before, there are a lot of props and chaos and uh, like tanks and giant cell phones and you know people <laughs> clashing Vikings. armies. Vikings, yeah, precisely. So that sort of thing is perfect for an event like this because um, it's so visual. Um, and then we've also we've gotten the piece of footage from uh, from Decontrol, the the '80s Philly band. It's still around now. I saw them play down at FDR. At Bud's birthday about six months ago. Very nice. Yeah, yeah, still performing. Um, and I interviewed Adam Avery from the band, who was a great guy. Um, and he had some footage that, that technically is outside of the parameters of what we can screen because we only wanted Philly bands playing Philly venues. So they are a Philly band, but they're playing in Atlantic City. We kind of gave them a pass because the, the footage is really great. Um, and something we talked about earlier uh, is I really like footage that shows the audience. Um, it's you know, great to see the band and I want to have something that's kind of clear but also I want to see the audience members and I think the audience of the live event wants to see the audience members because maybe they were there or their friend was there or maybe they see someone who has since died uh, and it's kind of a weird experience to see their ghost. And it's also just seeing bands play and you don't know who they're playing to or what they're doing is very sterile. Yeah, exactly, yeah. I, I, a lot of the footage that I rejected was was beautifully shot in in the sense that it was shot in high def with great sound, so there was this visual clarity that was terrific, but was boring because um, because of that sterility that came through, where it was just uh, it's four dudes on the stage and they're they're rocking out to various degrees, but where are they and who's there and what is the audience doing? What are they inspiring people to do? And and audience reaction is such an integral part of live performance, especially in hardcore punk. Uh, that if that's absent from the footage, then the footage is just it's just rental, rendered dull and sterile. Yeah, I think we were talking about this earlier. I think that's what makes DIY punk, DIY anything, so good is because you are standing right there next to the band. You are seeing them play. You are interacting with them, and you are creating the performance. Because if they're just, you know, we've all seen bands play technically really well, but for whatever reason, the audience didn't react to it. And you go, oh, that was nice, but like that's not what I want out of my DIY punk show. It might yeah. be what I want out of my strange ambient noise project show where the audience isn't really going to do much anyway, but I just want to you know, stand there and take it all in. But for a punk show, the audience is such a, a big part of that. It's absolutely a symbiotic experience, uh, and, and the two certainly feed off of each other. Um, and that's a big part, and that's certainly something that we wanted to see come through in this footage. So, did you already say when the event is? It's April 23rd. And uh, there's... Well, there's, the first screening is at 8 p.m., uh, and that's sold out in a little over a week. Uh, so we actually, uh, I guess this is the first official announcement of it, um, is that there's now going to be a second screening of it, which will take place on the same night. Uh, it'll be at 10.30, and tickets just went on sale for that. You can just get that through... Um, uh, our, you could look on our Facebook page devoted to the event. Um, will the same people be in the audience for both times, or will there be different? No, folk I'm gonna, there? I think the the feeling 
my concern was that there would be a disjointed feeling if I was pulling people out of the audience, attendees, uh, to bring them on stage and ask them a question and then kind of push them back into the audience. Because some people, you know. I was just thinking about like them being on stage and then crowd surfing off back to their, their chair. <laughs> that would be very impressive. I mean, if that was going to happen, that would be great. But I think the reality is that a lot of folks aren't necessarily comfortable to step up in front of an audience, even if they're music, you know, uh, accustomed to performing musically. Uh, so I thought it would be easier to kind of see who's there and how they connect to the footage, and I'll know how the footage is going to run, and then be able to kind of throw a question out to them, and then someone will run over like Phil Donahue style with a microphone and hand it to them, and, and they'll answer a question, you know, for a few sentences. They won't have to get up, they won't have to get on the stage, and then we'll move on with the footage because there's a, actually a pretty considerable amount of footage, so we don't want this thing to be to run to in, you know interminable length. Um, so I'll just see who's there for each one, and uh, and we'll make some words. And this is not a documentary. Oh God, it's not a documentary. Um, you know, in in 2013, everybody who has a video camera, which is everybody who has an iPhone, uh, is making a documentary, and it's being funded by a Kickstarter campaign. Um, <laughs> and uh, and this is uh, this is fine, uh, and and I think that you know perhaps some of these products will will be great. Uh, but I think that part of the problem and, and part of the reason why I wanted to do this is that um, a documentary is, is going to begin with a thesis of a director. Uh, and the director, he or she, is going to um, gather all of this footage and these interviews with folks, and they're essentially going to prove the, the thesis that they set out with. Um, and they're going to talk to individuals for possibly a considerable length of time, but when the person appears in the documentary, they have probably on screen for mere moments. Um, so what I wanted to do with, with the second facet of this project was have these long-form, intimate audio interviews with people uh, that were absolutely 100% their story, not my story, um, and that these things would then appear online. They'll be on the Cynadelphia website, and they'll be unedited. Uh, there'll be a, a portrait of the person uh, by Karen Kirchhoff, uh, and I've seen these, and these are fantastic. Uh, and then the individual will, will be able to listen to these interviews, which are rather lengthy. They're mostly 42 minutes to about 100 minutes each. Some edge on to close to two hours. And um, really kind of get uh, an intimate feeling of what this person's life was like. Where they were born, moving through Philadelphia, the, the politics of the city, um, the punk scene at, at the time that they were involved, or if they're still involved, um, and that you really kind of get their story uh, and at great length. And I think that all of these interviews, there's um, about 19 of them so far, and they comprise about 19 hours of of, um, of, uh, of you know foot audio interviews. Uh, they they create this really beautiful and interesting mosaic of the city of Philadelphia because they touch on so much outside of punk uh, that for the person who actually will sit through all of these things and listen to them will get a really interesting portrait of what the city was like from folks who uh, were born uh, or who are in their mid-50s now uh, who were born in the 1950s up to uh, the youngest person I interviewed is 20 years old um, and this creates a really interesting view of the city and it's it's in kind of stark contrast to a documentary which is you know going, going to be much more uh, circumscribed and probably is going to be talking head 
stock footage, talking head stock footage. The I've end. seen that movie before. Uh, yeah, I it think was kind of awkward to watch, and I wanted more information. Uh, yeah, and often the other problem with documentaries is that um, they, or, or especially documentaries about hardcore or punk, they'll say, um, uh, 1982 came along, and then it all ended. Or maybe it's 1985 or 86, where all of the participants, they... Uh, began to get fat or began to lose their hair or get pregnant or get a job working for Dow Chemical or picked up a drug addiction or whatever their, their malady was. Uh, and as a result, they left this still vibrant world of underground music. And because they left, it ended. So when I would see this, I'd say, well, wait a second. I came along after this happened and saw all of this really cool stuff happen with really amazing people. How is it possible that it was all over in 1985? Because you made a bad metal record? <laughs> they did make a bad metal record. <laughs> they whoever, all did. Whoever it was, or they did the, the Bad Religion thing and they made a bad New Wave record. Yeah, and then later when they realized that there was some money around uh, to these young kids who somehow just didn't disappear, uh, then they made some more yeah. hardcore-ish well, records. Speaking of which, I'm going to break in and play a song so it's not just us talking. We pulled a bunch of Philadelphia music here. Well, does Westchester count? Uh, I was saying no, but no, that's okay. I yeah. love, yeah, Westchester. Yeah, well, I mean, Eleanor went on to play in, in Red Devil and Lesser No Neutrinos. Or we can go for any of the other. This was just the No, 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 that's fine. No, okay. That's fine. No. Uh, first track we heard was Scram, uh, and now we're going to hear the Abriax. And I'm going to go turn that off in there so we don't get that weird echo. It's going to be great. It's uh, 2018, and you're listening to WKDU Philadelphia 91.7 FM. Jackson University's free format, non-commercial radio station. And we can actually continue this conversation on the air. I was talking to someone about the Plow United show last night about how they were playing with Nona, whose member is a spray nerd, and about how the Westchester scene has gone from being, like, late teens, early 20s, like, normal college-town punk scene... Uh, to playing political esque music, uh, like the Abriax, mm -hmm. like the Orphans, like so many other bands in the mid mid nineties, mid to late nineties, underprivileged nation, uh, to being really, really, really into pop punk and being really young. Which and I that's, think that's the current state. That's the current state of the okay, Westchester yeah. scene. Yeah, is I, that I, can't, I haven't paid very much attention yeah, to it. In it's it's a, a younger, <clears throat> very pop pop punk oriented scene and i think it's really interesting how scenes change through the years and how like one or two bands can steer people in like steer a whole scene into another direction where everyone says oh i really like that band i really want to have a band that sounds like that let's start a band that sounds like that band and all of a sudden you have a punk scene turning into a thrash metal scene or a punk scene turning into two different scenes, one of which is going that direction, and one of which is going this direction. And I feel like that's happened a number of times through, through the years in Philadelphia, and not just because we're a giant city, because I feel the, as a whole the punk scene is pretty small, but because change, like tastes change, and that's inevitable. Yeah, it's something that I talked to a lot of the interviewees about, um, both the, the ones who were the oldest who saw punk initially come into the city and then those who saw the sea change from a 77 style punk to hardcore in the early 80s and to some folks uh, this had a great appeal because the hardcore was was stripped down and raw and was kind of a lot of the artifice of um, 
of punk had been removed, and for other people they felt that it was sort of alienating because it was a little less artistic and maybe a little more male-oriented and aggressive. Uh, and then in folks who were a bit younger than them, uh, maybe those who were more uh, of my own age would see in uh, early 90s, uh, there was a move in, in some quarters to this more like an emo and then a screamo type thing, so we, you know there was a certain visual aesthetic that was associated with that, but there's certainly very distinctive musical sound too, and I think that part of that was a reaction to what was happening concurrently, uh, which was a really aggressive kind of like kickboxer uh, scene of the, the 90s that was happening in some places, and there were these kind of like uh, revamped straight edge type bands, so you know, as a reaction to people who wanted to go to a show and not have a guy trying to work like crazy judo moves on their head, which was absolutely ridiculous. The, the emo thing became in itself a little ridiculous mm -hmm. because you would have people on stage, you know, crying uh, <laughs> or talking about their emotions and people sitting on the fourth backpacks. And inviting other people to come up and talk about their emotions. Yeah, you know, that part. Uh, well, that's true. Uh, there's something, uh, there's a piece of footage that we're going to use in the live event. Um, and uh, it's, a, it's a really great band. Uh, and... Um, the, the singer invites the audience to come up uh, and say, uh, if they have any issues, come up, and we, no matter what we're doing, if we're playing, if we're in the middle of the song, come up here and talk about your problem, talk, say what you want to say, it's an open mic. Um, and, uh, and the band was Torches to Rome, uh -huh. uh, and Torches to Rome were an amazing band, and so his introduction, that, that piece, we're going to use. Uh, although Torches to Rome was based out of San Francisco Bay Area, they were playing a, a show in Philly. And I w wanted to kind of use that to illustrate the feeling of some bands in the 90s. What I didn't use uh, for the event was that two women who were on tour with the band actually took, uh, took them up on the offer. And they came up and they stood on either side of the stage with microphones and they began to detail uh, this fight that they had, this trivial little fight and like one of them couldn't really make friends with women and it had problems like that before and it was really upsetting to her that she had a fight with her friend and I, I had I filmed this footage and so I kind of filmed the audience and I just see them like everyone looks really uncomfortable like they're trying to make very earnest faces like I care about your problem that doesn't matter to me uh, but really they're kind of turning green inside it's tremendously embarrassing and goes on way too long and I didn't want to screen it because I thought well it, it's it's gonna make asses of these two women who are speaking in earnest and the audience the viewing audience is gonna just fall off the seats in discomfort uh, but that was kind of a perfect 90s moment. I remember probably a couple, couple years later than that, like 90, 99, 2000 or so, seeing political bands who had speeches longer than their actual songs. Yes. And I remember one band in particular, uh, and if you weren't taping this, I'd actually tell you the name of the band, uh, where the band members would just get more and more pissed off at the lead singer and finally just tell him to shut up and so they can start the next song. And he's he's up there and he's telling his story and it's just, it's so important for him to get it out, which it is, I'm sure, you know. I'm not going to you know, take, take away from any of that. But it was just, it was kind of boring. Yeah, I mean, even when I was 20 years old, I didn't necessarily want to hear another 20-year-old tell me, give me a long political diatribe or self-involved story because they're not sitting on the psychiatrist's couch. 
you know, there is supposed to be an element of performance. Isn't that what zines are for? Uh, yes, uh, and you, you're welcome to read them or not, but uh, it's just a little easier to set the zine aside and not be, you know, sitting before yeah. the... I went to um, the more one of the more the music festivals in Ohio, and I remember seeing a band. I don't remember what band it was, so I can't embarrass them on air. But the guy was talking about how it, it rained, and then when the rain stopped, there were all these earthworms on the ground, and they were drying <sighs> up, and he was watching them die, and he started crying. And I wanted to kill him. I wanted to kill his body because it was so embarrassingly lame. And I just wanted, like, can't someone beam in, like, Siege or Infest or something and then just, like, rip this man's head off and then play some hardcore? Didn't happen. <laughs> Didn't happen. They're having a reunion of that in San Francisco this year. I'll be certain not to go. <laughs> <laughs> so let's go back to the... Uh, I guess we've, we've been talking about it. So, in terms of the people that you've interviewed, uh, you mentioned interviewing the Fiends. Yes. Uh, what kind of what kind of stories did, did the Morphines have? Did they have stories more about, about Philadelphia or stories about... Uh, oh, I'm looking at the list now. Oh, that's a great list. Uh, stories <laughs> more about being outside of, outside of Philly and like what people thought about the Philly scene. Uh, it was a little bit of both. It was a fairly lengthy interview. I mean, I'm looking at the list as well. So we talked for 75 minutes mm -hmm. uh, uh, to both of the fiends. Uh, so it was Elizabeth and Alan. Uh, and for those who aren't familiar with the Morphines, uh, they were a very seminal... I'll go grab Philly, their record while you talk. Uh, yeah, that'd be great. They're a very seminal Philly art punk band. Rave records all the way. Yeah, Wild yeah, rave records, right? Um, and who had about five different incarnations. Uh, and... They have these great roots in in a very like true Philly underground artistic world, and and both of them have gone on to do really really amazing things outside of uh, punk, uh, and they had some really fantastic stories of the wild performances that they would put on, um, uh, and, and one of the stories that uh, Elizabeth told me was they were touring in Europe and they were given a, a very unfortunate billing of. Uh, playing with Biohazard and Mucky Pup. Uh, and Mucky Pup, uh, you might remember, was the Bloom County band, like was supposed to be Billy and the Boingers, who were this really crappy metal band. Um, and they were playing with them, and they were in Germany, and uh, as is the custom in Germany, they were presented with a huge spread of food. And the uh, Mucky Pup guy went over to the loaf of bread, which was not sliced, and uh, put, put a knife in the bread, and was like, how... How do you make the how do you make the slice from the bread? How do you do this? And Elizabeth had to get up and physically show him the sawing motion that one employs to make a slice of bread. So it must have been a fantastic tour. That sounds great. She does a great uh, home ec type show. Uh, is it it's just on the web now, or it was on DUTV for a long time? Yeah, I think it's eventually on the web. She actually had to change the name because uh, it was called the Big Tea Party. And you might have heard a thing called the Tea Party. So in recent years, there's been a bit of confusion as to like what her, her big tea party was all about. Um, so yeah, she's had to, to change the name to that thing. Should we play a Morphine song right now? Uh, yep. Okay, let's do that. Uh, this is Morphine's Wild West Philly. Half hour past, WKDU, Philadelphia, 91.7 FM. That was just Morphine's with the Morphine's theme. I was going to play Wild West Philly, but having a theme song is always important. None of the bands have theme songs anymore. That's right. Uh, Russian Meat Squats have a theme song. 
I don't think I want to hear it. Oh, it's so good. Have you ever, can you ever you heard sing it? it to me like a little bit? A little I bit, a little bit. Little no, bit. I think it's just where the Russian meat squats. Where the mo- yeah. Have okay. you ever great Allentown band? I don't know that I've ever heard them. Oh, before. they're great. There's a lot of there's a FOE Records comp that you can still get copies of um, somewhere, and it's Mr. Yuck and Russian Meat Squats and Weston back when they were a truly Allentown band. I love Weston. And <laughs> I might have this record. I might have some stuff from uh, from FOE and I. You know, yeah, I know the, the comp is just a really good place to start. The Mr. Yuck stuff is awesome. I don't know what else they recorded. The Russian Meat Squat stuff is really fun. They were really young. They used to play in Philly all the time. There's some pictures of, of them playing in Philly. Um, I just feel like the one interesting thing about Philadelphia that I, I constantly, as, as someone who talks Philadelphia punk a lot to people, especially from people out of town, is that Philly's always been kind of on its own. Uh, it's been... Not particularly isolated, per se, because we are so close to everything else. But Philly's always been very much Philly. And not a lot of people... Like, no one goes, Hey, I'm going to go to Philly because that's a really happening, crazy place. I mean, they might, but that's in the minority. Yeah, it's something that I brought up uh, to several of the people. Um, I mean, when when you're sandwiched between... DC and New York, which are these these meccas for punk, uh, it's easy to kind of be dwarfed by them. Uh, but something that I was always curious about was um, to to the people who came into Philadelphia and had lived in other places. What did they think? What was the word like around the country about Philly? Because I've always been here, so uh, it's hard for me to see necessarily an outsider's perspective on the city. What do what do they think first of, of the city? Because I'm always curious about what people think of Philly itself, like. Mm-hmm. Is it a violent, filthy mess? Yeah, that's generally what people hear. Um, Hopefully. Yeah, I mean, how is the the Philly punk scene? And, you know, some people would hear that West Philly was really vibrant and alive, uh, so that would be good, and other people really wouldn't know much of what Philly was about. And a lot of the bands, unfortunately, uh, didn't get a great recognition outside of the city. Um, I think that that potentially changes with so much of this stuff proliferating on the internet um, mm-hmm. and I think that uh, you know, it gives people more of an opportunity to hear the, the amazing bands the city produced. I think a really good example of that would be FOD where if you there are people around the world if you say flag of democracy they will they will go I can't say that word on the air they will they will go crazy and they don't realize that FOD are still playing shows. FOD never stopped playing shows. FOD are one of the greatest bands that has ever existed. I was at their 30th anniversary show. I was at their 20th anniversary show. And they've never stopped. And it's fantastic. Yeah, I absolutely agree. I mean, I've done shows with them before. Uh, Not only really nice guys, but I think it's really inspirational that, yeah, there's a consistency. So it's not like there's a, a reformation when it seems to be financially viable but there's like a genuine passion for this thing that, that propels these people forward uh, and I think that they're a really great example of that. But also I think they're a great example of Philadelphia and about how bands from here even when they do tour I mean FOD did Europe and I think that's it and they might have done some West Coast dates don't quote me on that but they definitely did they definitely did Western Europe where they were very popular but people just kind of like people have no clue that they're still around people just think that they stopped playing 15 years ago right or 20 years ago and although they could be a great punk ambassador 
Uh, I just feel like nobody, nobody really, like nobody in Philly really cares that much, and nobody outside of Philly knows that they exist still. And that's a really weird place to be. And I don't think that that is necessarily uh, foreign to the Philadelphia punk experience. No, I think people sometimes take for granted what, what appears to be sort of ubiquitous with this, this all around them in, in their area. Um, so I, I can certainly see something like that happening here. There's a, there's a certain apathy for local bands uh, sometimes uh, and a great desire for the exotic, the exotic being exotic New York City or exotic D.C. Yeah. Did, but did a lot of people end up, from, at least from, from what you know and what you've gathered from talking to people, moving from Philly elsewhere? Because you also mentioned that a lot of the people that you talked to were not from here originally. Uh, yeah, uh, most of the people that I've spoken to were born uh, other places, although some of them were close to the city. They weren't necessarily born in the actual city. Um, but everybody that I've spoken to so far for the interviews, and that was 19 separate interviews, uh, but some of them had multiple people in the interview, so it's 20-something people. Um, all of these people are currently living in Philadelphia. Um, I want this to, to be as complete as possible, so I'm going to catch other people's sort of Philly expats um, throughout the year as they move through town um, and talk to them about uh, you know, the time that they were in Philly. I just mm -hmm. haven't caught any of those people, yeah. you know, out-of-towners yet. What was your, because you used to book shows. Yes. Uh, Cabbage Collective. Right. What was what were your experiences like booking booking shows, dealing with bands from out of town, dealing with bands from Philly? Like what was what was the Philadelphia experience for you? Uh, well, I guess I guess you could say part of our desire and this uh, the the core of Cabbage Collective would be uh, my brother Bull Gervaisi and Chris Fry and Sean Castillo and me, and then there were a lot of other people who were involved who deserve a tremendous amount of credit for doing the things, but. Um, there was definitely a feeling that the certain folks who were doing shows in the city were kind of winding down from doing them, uh, and that there needed to be another group of people doing shows. What, what years were? Uh, so, well, this we started Cabbage Collective. Um, we we did a thing called Orgasmic Productions in South Jersey, which is where we were all from, uh, in the late '80s. Like, uh, I think we did a show maybe '88, '89, and that was with mostly local bands. Uh, uh, matter of fact, and uh, you know several other bands that were around at the time, and uh, and then we would towards the latter part of that we had some really amazing uh, bands who were touring. So we had Neurosis play really early on in their career. Neurosis played in 1990. Uh, Born Against played there. Um, uh, you know we had several other bands do things there, and then we all moved to Philadelphia by the early 1990s, and it was then that we started doing Cabbage Collective. Why did you move to Philly, not New York? Uh, because I always felt like, I mean, I grew up in a kind of a working class suburb of Philly, and Philly was always the city. You know, that is where I went to. Um, you know, that's where a family members, some family members still live. That was where we went for shows. That's where we went to South Street to buy records and things like that. Uh, so it was the logical place to go. And it was a city that, that I, I knew how it operated to a certain degree. Um, and I certainly knew its geography to a certain degree. So we were able to find a church uh, at 48th in Baltimore um, uh, that allowed us to rent the basement of the church to do these shows uh, and it was always the, the desire to do these shows in absolute contrast to the bar shows that we weren't even old enough to get into 
um, although I, I, I probably was at the time because I was slightly older than the others. Um, but I didn't want to breathe in someone's secondhand smoke, and I didn't necessarily want someone kicking me in the head. Uh, I wanted something that reflected the ethos of punk that was extremely important to me. And I know that the other members of the group would say the same thing, is that we wanted to see ethos put into action by doing things that were genuinely DIY, expressed our values, and were inclusive to everyone, so that anyone can go to the space and feel comfortable. Uh, so there were like people who would make vegan and vegetarian food that they would serve for free, and there would be tables of zines and records and stuff, so it was fun. It was a gathering, um, and that we would be able to to host both local bands who weren't playing in these other venues, uh, and there were many of them, and then all of these great small touring bands, and then the local bands would then play in the cities that the, the little touring bands came from, and created a really great, vibrant DIY network of folks. One thing I've always kind of appreciated about Philly is that you never really find anyone that goes... I love this city 100%. It's the best place ever, and I've got nothing bad to say about it. I feel like to love Philadelphia is, is also to hate it, and to be able to point out all the bad parts of it while you're saying, well, it's a lot, you know, it's, it's not that bad. Yeah, yeah, there, there is a lot to hate. I mean, certainly if you really hate the city, you're absolutely welcome to leave it, because everyone in Philly will be the first to tell you to get the F out. But, uh, but I think that, that having some issues with the city motivates people to do things to improve it. And mm -hmm. that every one of these things kind of moves the city up a couple notches. And then sometimes it falls back down a few notches if, like, L&I steps in or, you know, there's, uh, there's other issues here and there. But um, I, I think that all of these, these motivating factors of issues with the city only serve to make the place a better place. I think that's really true. I also really like the fact that I was talking to someone who... who book shows and deals with bands a lot, drives bands around, that sort of thing. And we were talking about Philly versus New York. And he was saying that while bands might have an overall maybe better show in New York, there might be a couple more people there, they might sell a couple more records, they then have to go back to three different apartments, uh, hang out with people who are going to bed because they have to wake up at six to go to their three different jobs so right, they can right, afford... Right. They, have, they they can afford that apartment. They have to deal with parking, which and they got to go to Brooklyn, you know. Yeah, yeah, uh. and and all these things, and it's just not going to be that much fun. And when bands play in Philly, it might be a smaller show, whatever, but they're going to have an overall much better experience. Yeah, I would absolutely agree with that, and and they're certainly going to be staying in a bigger space, especially if they're staying in somebody's like freaky punk house in West Philly, you know, yeah, uh, where no one has jobs. Uh, yeah, exactly. Uh, they might get fleas <laughs> from sleeping on the couch, but uh, at least there's a, a sizable space for them to sleep in. What were some of the venues that people talked about missing the most? Uh, I mean, depending on the age of the individuals, they'll talk about. Love Hall or the Hot Club or Grendel's Lair. Um, you know, th there were a lot of different places that were around from late 70s into early to mid 80s. Um, and, you know, these are places that, you know, when I would hear folks talk about them, they, they had a certain mythic status to me as well because, you know, I had never gone to any of those places. I wasn't old enough. I, I came into this in, in 1987. Um, but it was really interesting to kind of talk to someone in such a way and at such a length where you can almost feel like you're kind of like stepping in this place. Like, what did it look like? What did it feel like? You know, they talk about uh, Abe's Steaks. Uh, and here was a place, you know, that's run by uh, a guy who may or may not have been a slumlord and had had this kind of like what they refer to as Abe's Army. Uh, these folks who were 
kind of like borderline personalities, uh, borderline employed, um, and and they would give them uh, give Abe their welfare checks, uh, and then he would feed them crappy steaks, and um, he allowed uh, punks, and this was uh, Tim Dunn and Chuck Meehan. Uh, to book shows there uh, for real cheap. I think they said they rented the space for like $40 or something like that. Um, so, you know, he's, he's in effect a sort of a patron of the arts by allowing this to happen. Um, and, and they do these really great shows that, uh, you know, Tim was really active in uh, doing benefits for the homeless, which was something that he put a tremendous amount of effort in and actually did a lot of good. Um, and I guess we should mention that, that one of the uh, one of Abe's army, uh, in in some regard, was uh, Philly's most infamous serial killer, uh, Gary Heidnick, who had also taken uh, quite a liking to Elizabeth Fiend because he liked her style. <laughs> and on that note, let's hear an FOD song. Hey, we're back. That was FOD off the newly re-released Shatter Your Day, which just shows that there is still interest in old Philly records, much less new Philly records. Absolutely. Which is great. I'm so happy. Because it's not just uh, all of Shatter Your Day. It's all this. It's the Chinese food, the original tape. That's nice. Uh, the Love Songs EP, the Get, Get Off My Back tracks, uh, the Flipside tracks, uh, a Boombox recording, and the Live on XPN. Yeah, that, that is a fantastic uh, collection. <laughs> yeah, it's great. So, what do you want to get to next? Uh, well, I was going to mention, uh, you know, when I had my concerns about how Philly uh, hardcore punk would be represented in, in different documentaries that are being making now, and kind of what inspired me to do this, uh, a lot of people didn't really know what I was doing, which kind of, you know, relates back to your question of, about my documentary, um, you know, that I'm miraculously making in two and a half months. Uh, and uh, so, mostly what I received was emails about different footage and stuff, but I did receive uh, a message that was kind of like, kind of questioning the project and the ideas behind the project uh, and I actually really liked the email that I got because I, I thought that it sort of expressed my own concerns uh, about other people's projects and rather than sort of bristling at what this person was throwing at me I thought oh you're, you're absolutely correct and I was just going to read a little piece of please do uh, so this we'll just call this guy Jim uh, and he, he begins the, the message with kind of like his history of how he came into Philly and doing shows and stuff like that uh, and then he writes um, booking punk shows and remaining a part of the larger network of what we have deemed the punk scene is something that is sincerely important to me, not just as a means of communication, but also as a type of moral necessity. I really care very deeply about the portrayal of punk in this city. Philadelphia is to me not just my favorite city, it's the only city. What I'm trying to say is that the portrayal of the Philadelphia punk scene is something that I and a very large number of other people in this city take very personally. Uh, I'm not really sure why I'm writing this because it's beyond my control as to what you do with your film, but I suppose that I just wanted to raise that point so that it might offer up the suggestion that you should deal with the material that you're trying to present with a lot of careful consideration. And, um, and I absolutely agree. Um, it's really important to me to see the city represented properly and, and the desire to have these long-form, unedited interviews, I hope, with, with a great variety of people, uh, will present the city in the, in the best light. And I think also in a very inspiring light, um, because these people, in spending time with them, who have all been really nice and really gracious, have had this tremendous, like, 
light that emanates from them. That their experiences in punk, whether they're involved now uh, or were involved, they still carry something of the ethos with them. Um, and I think that that has given them an empathy for other people and an understanding and um, a youthfulness. Um, and they, they're all people who either are now or were completely engaged with their times. Uh, so they weren't watching it from the sideline, but they were a part of it, no matter what they did in the scene. And to me, these are tremendously inspiring uh, people. And I think that the folks who listen to the interviews can't help but be inspired to do things themselves by the example of these folks. I think that's really interesting. Uh, I feel like looking over that list of people is just like one after another of oh you got to talk to that person oh that's great you got to talk to that person oh that's really cool and can we can we real uh, quick yeah yeah uh, yeah. i mean do you want to read it off or I'll yeah i can i can read it okay, off real yes. quick uh so it's uh cordy swope of ruin chuck trees from grad adam avery of decontrol glenn wallace of ruin will mcandrew uh jesse bird chuck Meehan, tim dunn rich hoke from brutal truth and tfd joe gennaro from the dead milkmen and low budgets uh, Brian Lathrop from Sadistic Exploits, Greg and Matt Mungin, uh, is that how you pronounce her name? Uh, of Scram, Leora Colby, Elizabeth and Alan Fiend from The Morphines, uh, Tony Pointless and Bull Gervaisi from Rambo, Jackal from Wide Eye, uh, Adam of Adam and His Package, and Grace Ambrose, Ramsey Bayer, Mikey Cantor, and Max Weinstein Bacall from DIY PHL. And that is. And also inclusive of, of oh, now, yeah. of, of John Paul and you. Yeah. Uh, and then coming up really soon, uh, we'll be talking to Mike McKee. And then Mike McKee is going to do an interview with Cabbage Collective. And since I'm a member of Cabbage Collective, then, you know, I will be in that interview. But. And McKee will tell you more stories and you'll ever have time to remember uh well fortunately they'll be committed to tape forever um yeah. yeah he has a great if you look up his name and jay church he has a great story about the first time he ever really sat down and listened to jay church he had some tape and he was stranded in the city and he was waiting for the first train back to ardmore or whatever whatever it was and he was he was stuck at 69th street and it was pouring rain out, and he just listened to, he was just lying on a bench and listening to the one half of the J.H. Church tape over and over and over and over again. And, and somehow he's still alive. He did not commit suicide. <laughs> that's good. Yeah, it's great. I think, I think that's a really, it's a good story, and I can just, like, I can so easily imagine 69th Street empty at, you know, 4 o'clock in the morning, and just record. waiting, yeah, yeah. waiting for that train, you know. Yeah, I think for a certain folks who know this record, you know, and know the city, you can easily paint that picture yeah. in your head. So, why do you think that there is? Because we talked earlier that there, there's been a bunch more interest in capturing Philly punk history of late, uh, with the myriad projects that have been talked about or have been worked on or or what have you. Why do you think 2013? What happened? I think it's the availability of the of the means to capture this. I think that the, the video technology is so cheap now and that so many people look to a Kickstarter campaign to get a project started um, that, uh, that the, it's within the realm uh, of the doable for folks. That's interesting. Uh, do you think that there's any more interest in... Because there's been enough about New York and D.C. and everywhere else. Do you think that there just is more interest in a scene like Philadelphia that was always kind of forgotten by everyone else? 
I still don't have a great feeling of whether the rest of the country or the world really cares. So certainly the people in the city care, and they'll watch this thing. But do does anyone else want to see you know the scene documented? And I think maybe maybe it'll come down to the quality of the production. I mean, mm -hmm. if it's a really well-made documentary and it has an appeal outside of the folks who are going to recognize themselves in the film, mm -hmm. uh, then then maybe it, it can go somewhere. So, it's sort of related to that. Do you have a favorite Philly punk comp? Uh, I would say the uh, the KDU comp is the probably, KDU comp. Yeah, really? Yeah, with uh, Mothra and Kitchikow, uh, the Scrapple comp. Yeah, uh, the uh, the dish the hands or dispan hands. Yeah, dispan hands. Yeah. I don't think that was KDU. Uh, was it not? Uh, no, KDU was Scrapple. Okay, uh, which was Red House Painters, Kitchikow, Mothra, maybe Morphines. There's Discpan Hands, uh, and there's Get Off My Back, We're Doing It Ourselves. Yeah, yeah. Uh, which is my favorite. Yeah, yeah. I, if you could find yeah, a copy of that is great. Yeah, with I have the poster. Record. I don't know if mine has the poster. I also haven't listened to it in like 300 years, but the, I saw it when I moved my records recently. The poster has... I should show you the one that, the version of it that, that KDU has, because uh, it's been written on a lot, with people putting down different notes about the different uh, venues that got shut down. Uh-huh. But the poster was done by Elizabeth Fiend, and it was a mimeograph poster, which shows how old it is. Wow, that's fantastic. Yeah. yeah. It's great. Yeah, I hope mine has that. Uh, you know, the station was a, a big part of young me kind of discovering punk, because uh, I recall in, in 1987, you know, in New Jersey, I would get this, like, faint broadcast of the station and I had found like the year before I found this really great rare psychedelic music show because I've always been really interested in, in psych music as well but I found these hardcore shows uh, and they they like burned a hole in my brain I had to find all these bands and one of the bands that they played was a band that they called the Crusa Guys now I can't even say yeah hey, you probably know who I'm talking about yes. who the real band is so I was like these Crusa guys are really great I need to go to the Philadelphia Record Exchange and buy the Crusa guys record which of course doesn't exist yeah. because it's actually something really dirty is the is the did name. they did they laugh at you did they know what you're talking about I don't know that I asked them you know that <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah because I was probably a little intimidated by them but I mean they were on this list and I just remember like oh they're playing like BGK and Upright Citizens and Discharge and and I'm praying like please, please, Mr. DJ, please read off this list of songs before I lose the transmission. And I made this tape of it, and it was like this holy grail, and I had to find everything on there. Like, all right, I have the MDC record now, and now I need to find the McRad record, you know. And that's a comp in and of itself. It is, yeah. I mean, I'm sure that, like, I should have this thing transferred to CD before it disintegrates, because it's a really great, I mean, it's a little scratchy and, and staticky, yeah. but I mean, it's like a really great compilation of, like, crucial 80s hardcore punk. It's so good. Yeah, and there was a there was a song on there that it's one of those things where like, I still don't know who did the song. Uh -huh. So it was a song about Bob Hope. Um, so the guys like it begins with no music, and the guy says, "This is a song about Bob Hope, one of the most brilliant comedic geniuses of our time." Song, little song I like to call "Die Bob Die," and then it just goes into the song. I still never figured out what that is, but it was so great. It actually sounds kind of familiar. Maybe we can solve your. This must be figured out. I'm sure that I could find out on the internet, but yeah. I'd love to find out not on the internet. Not on the internet. Yeah. John Paul might know. Probably. He probably wouldn't know. He was probably the one playing the music. You never know. Uh, I think it was probably a little early for him. Okay. This was 1987, so uh, I don't think okay. he was DJing yet. Let me read a quick PSA so we can stay on the air. And you have to get out of here soon, so we should deal with a couple more questions. 
Tired of the frustration and pollution brought on by traffic jams and take action and start today. It's as simple as reaching from four wheels to two, riding a bike cuts down the number of cars in the street and the pollution from car exhaust. Plus, it's a fun and simple way of getting into shape. So ditch your car and ride a bike today. An in-house public service announcement brought to you by your bike chain wielding friends right here at WKDU. What did you just say? I don't even know what you said. <laughs> I was telling people to ride a bike. I was impressed that you just pulled that out of your brain. I've said it hundreds of times. Okay. So It all sounds right. like it. Yeah. <laughs> Uh, so, again, the event is when and uh, where? The uh, event is April 23rd at Philomoka. Uh, there's going to be an 8 p.m. show, which is sold out, and there's a 10.30 p.m. show, which tickets are still available for. Uh, I'd advise you to get them soon, for they will uh, hopefully, inevitably, uh, sell out. Um, Philadelphia Film Festival's got programs all over the city. Uh, Eric Bresler did an amazing job uh, with that, and I would be remiss if I didn't mention that... Um, Loud Fast Philly is part of the Tuesday Tune-Out series, and there's a lot of really cool stuff for music fans playing uh, with that. So that'll be on Tuesdays throughout April. So there's, um, well, I guess we can mention this, the, the Monkeys thing, where they're going to be showing Head, and uh, Farquhar Muck and Fuss will be performing Monkey songs. Uh, and, and Mano Tavina, a fellow who's contacted me because he came through Philly's hardcore scene, um, is performing the theremin with uh, Divine... Um, yeah, so. uh, ex-member of FOD. Oh, okay. I, I I, I, he has some sort that. of connection to. I think he might have been their first drummer. Uh, okay. Yeah. That's don't quote, don't quote me on that, but I know he has some kind of connection to FOD because yeah. he was at the 30th anniversary show. Oh, very good. Yeah. Uh, so he'll be performing with the Von Han Ensemble, and there's a documentary about them and a lot of stuff. So it's all it's all on uh, line. What are you looking forward to the most about the actual event? Uh. I think it'll be neat to see how people react to the footage. I mean, I think some of the stuff is, is really funny. Uh, we've tried to incorporate some good audience footage in there, so people, some people will certainly see themselves. And um, uh, yeah, I'm curious to see how, how it all goes over with a seated audience. Do you think it'll just be a lot of people pointing and, and yelling and going, holy crap, that's me! Uh, I would like to see that. That would be, that would be perfectly acceptable. Um, and then the audio... Uh, the audio archives are going to go up probably about mid this week. Uh, they're going to go up one a day on the Cynadelphia site, and, and as I said, they'll be uh, unedited, and they'll have the portrait uh, by Karen Kirchhoff. Hopefully there's going to be a gallery event of her pictures uh, at some point later this year. She's done a really, really great job with those. Um, so you'll be able to listen to those, and I'm curious to see, well, if anybody listens to them, but I mean, I'm hoping that people do. You can, you can download them, and I kind of mm -hmm. like the idea that like, maybe a year from now, a 15-year-old kid in Indonesia will be listening to this interview. I just did an interview with a band recently, and they were talking about how they might be going to China at one point, and we got into this whole long conversation about where culture comes from and where subculture comes from, and I feel like we kind of take that sort of thing for granted a lot of the time mm -hmm. because it's, it is around us and it, and it was here before us. And I can imagine with some of the people you were talking to who started going to shows in 1976 when it was, oh, there's, there's this rock and roll band, but they're doing something faster and weirder and what are they going to do next? Yeah. And I feel like that is such a, a unique experience that is in some ways something that we all experience the first time we walk into a show especially a DIY, DIY show, and you go, whoa, what are they doing? Oh, wow, they're doing it like that? Oh, this is so great and so empowering in a lot of ways. And, and I feel like you probably got a lot of 
those stories while talking to people. Yeah, yeah, I absolutely did. I mean, there were folks who saw punk being born in Philadelphia. Uh, there was a weird sort of intersection between gay clubs and then what became punk clubs. Um, and there were also very peculiar dynamics between club owners and the police, and the police were taking drugs or sex uh, or money in order to allow these clubs to do these shows and, and I would ask folks who were there at the beginning of either the birth of, of punk or the birth of uh, you know hardcore punk or whatever did you feel like you were witnessing the thing like this was a thing and there's also a question did you think that, that this would still be something so many years later and, and answers vary but I think a lot of people were really thrilled by this like being part of a birthing process of mm -hmm. something and even those who came in later when you would think like what what could the appeal be of something that's been around for 20, 30, you know, going on 40 years to a young person? Um, and the, the appeal is absolutely there because they can step into it and become a part of it. You know, it's it's in a sense a certain meritocracy where if you want to do the thing and you you can do it, you, you will do the thing. Uh, and I think that there's very few parts of uh, society in general that's that welcoming to young people and to individuals mm -hmm. to just go in and take part. And it And it's so stripped down and raw that it still kind of retains its vibrancy all these years later and it's pretty impressive for something that aged. I, I've, been, I've been going to shows since 97 and I was recently at the Painted Black show at Golden Tea House the, the you know quote unquote secret show and leaving that show and going I just witnessed because I was uh, in back of Painted Black taking pictures for their set and I just witnessed 200 or so people getting totally rowdy, having a great time, and having a really positive time. It was uh, a, yeah. it was a really, really. There was no fights. There was nobody there who was angry. Everyone had smiles on their face, and everyone had a really good. Like we were all leaving that show feeling inspired. Yeah, I think it plants a really beautiful seed in people's heads, and for a lot of folks who are involved in this scene, that seed grows into a really impressive tree. So maybe they're not punk for life, but they've maybe gone on to do other artistic or political uh, activities that genuinely help other people or affect other people or have value. And it comes to those individual seeds that folks plant. And, and I think a lot of times people don't even realize the seeds that they're planting. And the hope is that they're good ones. One last question in terms of the video video footage that you got. Uh, obviously, when you see a bigger name band, you're going to go, oh, of course, it's, it's Born Against footage, it's Rambo footage, whatever. But were there any surprises in terms of crowd reaction, in terms of just like the, the power behind the music for some bands that you hadn't even heard of before? Uh, well, I think that because I haven't gone to that many shows in recent years, it was neat to see to see younger bands uh, and to see young audiences going crazy for them. So the you know very few people know who these folks are, but for those who do, this is their bands. These are the bands that they'll be talking about into the future. This is their time, mm -hmm. and their time is of course completely valid. Uh, so for me, it's neat to see this is the current incarnation of a thing that I spent a lot of time with and I still have certainly a connection to, but mm -hmm. not nearly as much yeah. as these people who are right now going crazy for this thing. So, That's great. Yeah, and that I think is, is the most inspiring because I just like seeing this like joy, this voluminous joy. Speaking of which, you have to go. I'm going to put on an Ink and Dagger song, which goes really well to what we're talking about, and I'll 
put something else while you while you put away your stuff and we can talk about things. Uh, I'll be back at some point in the next 15 minutes or 20 minutes or so. I'm going to do probably another half hour or so of music and then maybe an hour of John Paul show. So keep on listening. Listening public. And thank you very much for having me on the show. Anytime.